that show Hungry Beast, which most people would never have heard of, the most incredible thing that I got from it was how brutal we were with postmortems of a show. Like it was, it was deadly, and not in a, not in an aggressive way. We would put a show to air. The next morning, we would all come in, and for two hours, we'd just tear the show apart. Everything that was wrong with it, what you didn't like about, like be like, I don't like, I didn't like your segment, and it wasn't a fight. It was like this is why, this is why, this is why, and you know, the first few weeks, you get a few hurt feelings. And then eventually, you just get better. Hi, I'm Dan Brophy, and this is The Naked Creative, a creative wellness hack podcast where I talk to everyday makers and doers all about their process in the most practical terms. From how they came to do their thing, to what their day looks like, to how they gather inspiration or overcome blocks. The aim of the game is to demystify creative jobs, to explore the processes that make achieving artistic goals possible for anyone. My guest is Lewis Hover, who some of you may know as one half of Veronica and Lewis, the Triple J drive time show. Lewis is a friend of mine, and the thing that I enjoy most about him is his ability to negotiate his wit and cynicism with being an absolute delight. In Lewis's hands, humour is a sport where offers are returned with increasing abstraction. He's so quick, so innately funny, I love talking to him as much about philosophies as I do about trivialities. He is another candidate for someone who I know that's doing a job that most people would consider to be a dream job. So I wanted to find out what got him there in the first place. And now that he's there, the process that allows him to continue mastering his skill in turning out a two and a half hour comedy radio show every day. Not surprisingly, there is a brilliant mind at work behind the lightness of his humor. And although he wouldn't recommend his own process to anyone, there is a lot to be learned from my conversation with Lewis Hobber. For Lou. Dan, thanks for having me. Oh, thanks for letting me come over. <laughs> no worries. Welcome to the attic. It's beautiful. The, uh, we were just discussing that I will now conduct all of my interviews via Salt Rock Lamp mm. because this is what's illuminating us this evening and candlelight. Yeah, uh, we're, I'm, I insist on a, on, a, on a mandal. I'm being seduced. Yes, you are. Let's see, uh, let's see how long we last. Um, well, so, Lou, when people ask you what do you do, what do you tell them? It depends whether I want to have the conversation or not, <laughs> you know. Uh, so, you know, sometimes you just can't be bothered talking, um, and then I'll say writer, because no one cares. Uh, but uh, generally I say I work in comedy, which is kind of broad enough to cover a variety of things that I do, because um, I'm not really a stand-up, but I've been working comedy between writing and performing and, I guess, radio so in a variety of weird different ways for about seven years. And so I suppose also when you do, when someone, when a stranger does ask you, you don't want to give them the full spiel just in case they're being polite. Yes, and exactly. They, and they don't actually <laughs> care about everything that you're working on. Totally. And at least you give them the allowance to dig further should they wish. And if you got, if the vibes are right. Exactly. Um, what is it that you've been working on for the last couple of projects? Just to give a cross-sectional idea of the ways in which you allot your creative energy. Sure. Um, so, yeah, uh, I, I do the drive show on Triple J with my dear friend Veronica. 
so we've been doing that for about a year and a half, which we've been working at Triple J for about four years, I guess. Uh, but it's been full time for about a year and a half, which is really nice. It's the first time I've ever had a job that lasted for longer than three months. Um, cause as, you know, as I'm sure you know, as I'm sure a lot of people would know, if you work freelance, which is what I did previously, you know, you don't, you don't work, uh, traditionally for that long at a time. So, um, I used to make my money just as a writer. So I would write whatever I could do to pay rent. So whether that was a TV show or whether that was, you know, ads, just when you, when you say TV show could pay rent, is that because you would, would you step into a pre-existing writer's room, comedy writer's room and work for X amount of days or weeks on a certain project? Yeah, so it would often be, um, a lot of it was development. So, uh, you know, so many shows go into development and so few shows get up, particularly in Australia because it's such a small uh, industry and market really. So a lot of what you would do would be paid, get paid to sit in a room with friends and just, just shoot the breeze on ideas. So someone someone would have an idea and they'd be like, here's my idea. And then you'd sit there for a day or two days or five days or however it was. And uh, and you just have ideas. You just say whatever came to your mind, and you. It was. It's really fun. Like that sort of stuff happens very rarely in Australia, and when it does, it happens very. Uh, they're very short time spans because no one has the money to do the kind of writers' room that happens in the states or the UK. But so we get little like glimpses into them, and they're fun. They're really fun. So that that to me sounds like many people. Actually, many of the things you've described are many people's idea of. A dream job scenario. Mm. So what has to happen in order for you to be in the running to be paid to hang out with some comedy guys and throw ideas around as a paid writer for the day? Like, what did you do in the lead up to that that would allow someone to give you a call to see if you could do that? Uh, it's a combination of, I guess, like most things, um, previous work and just friends. Like, it's all friends. You know, I, I very rarely... Like ninety five percent of the shows that you would go to do something like that with was someone who you would also have a beer with and have had it. You know, it's like it wasn't often that you'd be getting calls from someone who you'd never met, going, "Oh, I saw this thing that you did, and I'd love to work with you." And I'm sure that does happen for for bigger, more successful writers, but I was never that big or successful. So uh, for me, it was always friends. And like, you know, I'm, I'm working on a project right now that weirdly it was. I think it's the the wife who's a, oh, the wife of a boss I used to have about four years ago. So he hired me as a writer and I used to work for him. And then I didn't talk to him for two or three years. And all of a sudden his wife just called me up and was like, we need a writer. You'll be great for it. And we've been working on this thing on and off for about a year and a half. So they can come from all over the place. Um, but usually it's the, it's friends. But yeah, what I guess what you'd have to do... What do you have to do? Jesus. Well, it, did you go to uni? Yeah, oh yeah, so, yeah, right, going back. Uh, I went to uni, so yeah, I went to RMIT in Melbourne to start with. I went to media, did media studies, because I wasn't super sure what I wanted to do, and kind of did that thing that a lot of people do when you, like, do okay at school, where you're like, I'm going to be a lawyer, and then you realise that that's an awful idea, and that you'd rather shoot yourself in the face, but you don't really know what else you want to do, so... Hey to the lawyers. Yeah, hey <laughs> there. Uh, and then, in fact, I had an amazing literature teacher, shouts to Mrs. Ganey, who called my parents to say, don't let Lewis do law, like, he'll hate it. So thank God um, I didn't. And then went to do media, and then while I was there, I did a little, it's just a good little, like, little sampler, you get a bit of everything, and I did a bit of writing, and a bit of radio, and a bit of 
TV and I was like, I'm, I'm going to be a film director. So then I went to VCA, uh, went to the film school VCA and loved it. But it was like, it's weird. Like film school and art school is so pretentious. And when like, I'm pretentious. So that was like a happy place to me. Um, and when I was in there, it was like, it was very intense, you know, and you and really, like, I wanted to write comedy, and I would write these scripts that I thought were, like, geniuses. And um, I'd get these... I'd get feedback from my lecturers that was like, you'd write a great meatballs film, Lewis. And at the time, like, as, like, a 21-year-old, you know, guy with the pretension to becoming a film director, I was like, that's fucked! How fucking dare you! This is, like... This is genius! And then looking back now, with a few years on, I'm like, fuck yeah, like... You know, I don't want to make a meatballs film, but I just I should, was always going to write comedy, I think. And so then from that, I got onto a show called Hungry Beast, which was a great opportunity at, on the ABC to work with um, Andrew Denton, and and that was kind of I didn't get hired as a comedy writer. I actually got hired to just like write stuff for the website. And then within about four weeks, they kind of moved me over to the comedy writing team, and and that was where I reunited with Veronica and met a bunch of great people. So what did they see in you, do you think, then, that gave you that, that shift where they went, you're not just a web copy guy, you're a comedy guy? <laughs> uh, I don't know. Like, all everything that I'd done to get the job was comedy. So I was like, and I'd just, I'd done stand-up for the first time about six months earlier, and, you know, like, all I wanted to do was comedy. So you did stand-up at 21? Yeah. Oh, no, well, that was, that was by the end of uni. So by then I was 20... Three, twenty-four. So you did the three. You did a three years media RMIT, mm. three years VCA film. Oh God, no! I need one year VCA. It was post grad. Okay. So I guess that would have been 19, 21, 22, 23, yeah. somewhere around there. And when you say reunited with Veronica in the in Denton's comedy room, was that because you'd known her previously? Yeah. So we went to high school together. Right. right. So uh, Veronica and I made out with each other's friends when we were not not with each other uh when we were about i don't know 13 14 so that's why there's that molder and scully-esque <laughs> tension between you two oh my They've god never actually made out i can't tell you how obsessed people are with us fucking it's out <laughs> of control like we had this veronica told me this story once where she one of her dear friends was at the waxer and it was like during the time we were on radio and the waxer to Veronica's friend was like mid mid vag wax, like, and was like, we heard us talking, and she's like, you know, these two are fucking, and, and not knowing the connection, no idea, no idea, right? And this girl's like, no, they're not. Like Veronica's married, they've known each other since they were twelve. They're not fucking, and she's like, well, I've heard they're fucking, <laughs> and oh so she god. texted Veronica to be like, oh my god, my waxer thinks you guys are fucking. And Veronica got the text while we were on air and was like, oh, that's incredible. So I texted her back going, please correct her. God, we can't let this get out. Uh, but yeah, we get it constantly. It's like Abbott and Credlin all over again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And if you tell anyone, I'm going to sue. <laughs> oh, delicious. Um, so, well, that, that, okay, that's, that's great. That gives me some good background because I feel like when you do jobs that people that are cool and glamorous and creative and there's, you know, a nice aura of success around it the idea of how it came about is so confusing and there's probably not a clear defined path that someone could emulate exactly and then fall into that situation totally but it does sound to me like you were 
investing energy in the writing of comedy since day dot and then you were equipping yourself with these technical skills in all these different areas and then professional experience to then I suppose be able to handle the comedic side of things and then the you know here's a job where you actually need to be writing new fresh comedy every day based on what's going on you know that day is it is it pre-composed shtick that's there ready to go weeks in advance is it Oh God, no! No, off the days. No, activities. Like, the thing of doing whatever it is, two and a half hours a day, or however many hours a day is, uh, you normally probably about half an hour a day is is like pre-planned. So our producer, a guy called Max Laverne, who's a total legend, like great comedy mind, great comedy writer. Apart from being a great radio brain, he's just an awesome guy to work with. And so he he'll probably lock in like one guest a day, so that we just have. Something that breaks up just like the usness, so you don't have just like two and a half hours of us, you know, doing doing shtick all the, all the time. It's nice to have. It's nice for us to have a break. It's nice for the audience to have a break from us. I think. Um, but the other f- two hours, so we kind of do it almost in like half hour sections. So like the next, there's almost like four gaps a day that we pretty much walk into. Going, how are we gonna fill those gaps? And do you do the math on how many minutes of on air that is versus talking and promos and things that come up around um, the chatting yeah it's kind of well it depends like we something like like we both love doing talk back like i think when i veronica had worked on radio a lot more than i had so really my first job on radio was triple j like that was so um my i think my version of radio in my brain was a bit like talk back's a bit like cheap and but the truth is like on something like triple j the listeners your listeners are your lifeblood totally like they're the, they're your content. They're your. Apart from being, they're just the, tr- the thing is when you have that many whatever thousands of people listening a day, the chances of them having a better story than you is a hundred percent. Like they are guaranteed. Whatever story you have, they have a better story, and so that becomes the joy of talkback. Like you just have this stupid thing that happened to you, and then you ask two hundred thousand people, "Do you have a better version of that story?" And that they do every time, and when that works it's so awesome that's a joy like that's my favorite that's one of my favorite things to do on radio and so how often do you do you ever step up to the plate and you're like we really don't know what we're talking about today (laughs) yeah so there when you do like because it's every day some days you have good ideas and other days you just have the best idea you have and you need to talk like there's a certain amount of time every day that you need to fill and when you don't have like you need to have something you just need to have it because you can't say nothing so yeah there are definitely days when you're like we'll have like an editorial meeting at the start of the day and we'll pitch out pitch our ideas for the day either from the news or from our life or whatever and you kind of get to the end of the meeting and you're like there are no a ideas here like we've got a we've got a whole swarm got, of bees <laughs> three c's and a b and yeah. there's that d that i'm really not looking forward to having to call upon yeah and so we have a board like we have a backup board where on days when we have too many a's we have a little you know mm-hmm. a backup board of all our all our backup ideas or sometimes there are ideas that are like just bees that you know you're like all right this isn't the greatest idea but if we get desperate and sometimes it's nice to just have that there um like we don't often use it but just there are some days when you just you just don't have an idea you just can't do it mm. but most times you do and between the three of us um or i mean sometimes you can just risk it and go fuck it let's just leave a gap 
and search the text line, stay on top of Twitter, like, just see... And that can be fun, too, because then you're really... You see a text or something from a listener, and you're like, could that be something? Maybe that could be something. And then you're, like, investing, and, and that can be quite fun, too. Like, then you can... Like, taking listener stories and blowing them up is um, is usually really fun. Because you... So you and Veronica have only... You've only ever been a Triple J host with Veronica. Correct. Yeah, I've never done radio with anyone else. She and, has, but I haven't. And so did you need to establish what your voice was, what your shtick was going into the working relationship? Uh, well, as I said, we've known each other since we were very young, and then we worked on a bunch of TV stuff together. So we had a knowledge of what uh, our skills were, like what, what her skills were, what my skills were. And But no, we didn't... I guess we... When we started, like, Triple J, we were a bit like, oh, we think you guys are going to be good, but we don't know, and you've never done radio, and whatever. Like, so we were, you know, we did we did some time in the, you know, off-Broadway as well to get, to find our voice a little bit and find and, some And that's, confidence. like, the, the, less, the, the less popular spots. Totally. Mm. So we did about three months uh, doing overnights, which is... Not as long as many people do. Like we got quite lucky with that, and but also because we were doing TV at the time, so I think they had a bit of trust that we could at least mm. make stuff. Mm. Uh, but then we did three, three, oh, excuse me, three years of breakfast of of weekends. Mm. Um, I remember not being able to see oh, you past a certain Jesus time. Christ, like it was fun, <laughs> and you can never complain about a job like that, you know, because it's so much fun. But you know, you you, I think you would have seen me at times when I was doing that job. And I was working five days a week because, you know, it's Triple J, it's the ABC. You don't do it for the money. Um, so I was working seven days a week for nearly three years. So what writer's room, Monday to Friday? Yeah, like I was writing freelance. So mm. I would do writer's rooms when they were around. But as I said, like they're not super common. So mm. doing a little bit of that and then doing a lot of copywriting for ads, which I um, sometimes I liked, sometimes it was, you know, awful. Mm. Um and then, you know, doing that five days a week, literally right, right where we are now, in my in my attic, I would roll out of that bed half a metre away, I would roll to this desk, I would sit at this desk for ten hours, and then I would leave for two hours, and I'd roll back into bed. Just did that five days a week, and then weekends, I would be up at 4.30 every Saturday and Sunday morning to go and do breakfast radio. Or you would leave the disco at 4am. Yeah, <laughs> yeah well, a couple of times. Uh, and back, back when Sydney had a nightlife. That's right. I know. Before, Good old days. I know. It'd be so much easier for breakfast radio hosts now. They're like, you must go home at one. <laughs> no fun. But yeah, there was obviously it was awesome, and I wouldn't have changed it. But it was, um, you know, it was it wasn't always easy. Like it ended a relationship I was having, and you know, it was uh, it was a decision that we had to make because we really wanted to do the job that we're doing now. And so when you were in the slots that were less fabulous? Were you always thinking drive time is where I want to be? Um, I guess so. Partly because I, I, I guess you could still do all the things that we're doing now on, on drive on weekends. Like weekends is a sweet place and weekend audiences are really lovely. Like there's nothing wrong with doing that job. It's awesome. And we needed to do it because as you said, like we hadn't really done radio together and even though we were friends, doing those few years really like made us bond and made us a team and we got used to what each other could do and what made each other laugh and what you know all that sort of stuff which is really valuable were you always aiming to, to <laughs> oh, do it, to drive, drive sort of yeah. in your in your sort of yeah it life. was like yeah. we really wanted to do it 
Um, yeah, just because, mm. I don't know, just because it's fun and we wanted to do full-time Triple J. Like, part of the reason that I, I'm not just going to blow smoke up Triple J's ass all day, but it's such a great place to work. It really is. The people there are amazing. Like, I, no matter what job you do there, there's just not a single asshole in that building, which is so rare for a workplace. Like, that, I've never... Especially a media workplace. Totally. Yeah. And everyone's young. Like, everyone, there's no... You don't really have, like, an old boss that... I don't know. It's just everyone there is young. Everyone there is a bit of a nerd who just loved Triple J growing up and loved music and loved the stuff that they do. So it's sort of this very uh, unique place. And, like, I've spent time on other radio stations, you know, just in and out, and it's not... That is not the vibe. Like, Mm. it is... That is a rare little slice of utopia in that place. So we wanted to work there all the time. We wanted to just be like... We want this to be our job. Of course, because the moment you did, did that five days a week, yeah. you no longer had to divvy your time up between like, you know... A million other things. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I love the idea that you were sleeping, but, you know, a meter from where we are right now and rolling to bed, because that, I believe that is my best way of working, is for the caffeine to be kicking in <laughs> as I'm putting finger to typing board. Mm. So when you... It's probably quite different now that you're structuring two and a half hours of comedy every day, but... What is your solo creative practice like? Have you found a great routine that you know is you at your most efficient if you had to work on something extensively? It really depends on the on the project. Like um, I'm I I'm pretty shit at mornings. Like basically I if I'm writing at home, like if I'm writing freelance, uh, I can I pretty much block out like before midday to just do personal shit because otherwise I will just sit at my desk and do nothing. Like, I just never get anything done before midday. Um, so I usually write from, like, midday to about 9 or 10 at night. So I work much better at night. Um, I just need the pressure of the day ending. If I don't... If I can't... But I... Yeah, but that normally works in spurts. Like, okay, that kind of fucks with your lifestyle a bit. Um, so... But, yeah, I guess that's how I write TV. Like, I like to be alone for long periods of time if I'm writing. Like, I don't really like to talk to people. Mm. <laughs> it's just pretty grim. And, uh, yeah, I like darkness. I just like to be in this room and in a little back cave. Very <laughs> very Edgar Allan Poe. Yeah, it sounds very bleak. Actually, this is a really funny time when I was writing a show called uh, Giggle and Hoot. I don't know if you know the ABC Kids show Giggle and Hoot. Yeah. So I wrote Giggle and Hoot for about nine months. Um, while I was doing weekends on Triple J. Sitting morosely in a darkened attic. Totally. <laughs> like, nothing... Like, I, 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 the, the previous three or four years was just, like, me writing, like, sarcastic politics jokes. Like, Bleh! And then all of a sudden I had to switch it around and write, like, rainbows and, yeah, everyone get on the fun train. And it was awesome. Like, the people who work there are lovely and it's a great show. It's like, kids go fucking crazy. Like... At the time, my girlfriend had a nephew who hated me until he found out that I knew Giggle and Hoot. And then I was like the king of the partners in that family. It was amazing. So for anyone watching, you know, kids TV and wondering the <laughs> twisted minds that play behind the scenes, it's someone just like Lewis Hobart. It is. Sitting like in a darkened attic. Oh, it made me... Like miserly. I got so sad. Like the uh, writing positivity all day just made me so depressed. Really? It was so, yeah, I just, I had no happiness left at the end of my day. I'm like, oh, I just want to see, like, 
I don't want to say something fucked up. <laughs> it was really grim. Uh, fun, but grim. Um, so, in that time that you were working and needing to establish your own creative practice, mm. what was your like? Would, what were your tropes around diet, exercise? You know, did you know that you were your best when you had, um, you know, when you were doing some exercise, but not so much that you were mentally exhausted, or you know, how how what was your association with? With, with those looking day, after day to, myself. Well, those day, yeah, exactly. <laughs> those day to those day to quotidian details that um, that I think I know that with myself, I need to find no exercise will destroy me. Mm. Too much exercise will start turning me into an athlete's mind frame and body. So it just becomes mm. all about the exercise. Similarly, like it's the same with diet, I suppose, where I know that you know I I want to. I almost keep myself hungry because I'm actually, and it's metaphorically and literally, yeah. I know that I am my, I do my best work when I'm just a little bit hungry all the time. Wow. Because if I'm well I... fed, I'm almost too contented. Jeez, that's amazing. I did not know that. I mean, I've spent a lot of time with you. I've never noticed you starving yourself. Not so much. Well, I mean, I do eat constantly and frequently. Yeah. But I just know that if I. You've I, got a lot of muscle to fill up, though. See, I don't have that. Yeah. I, I, yeah, you are whippet. I'm a whippet, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, I I just know that for me, it is very specific, but maybe not, maybe not for you. No, I've never, I've never been very good at looking after myself when I'm, when I'm, when I'm writing. It's much easier to look after myself now on, on radio because I know my, I know I have a schedule. Mm. Like I get into work at, you know, 9.30 and I'm there until 6.30 or 7 or whatever. When you were doing the solo um, attic time, were you just like, Oh, I may eat before 12. If I don't eat after 9, then who yeah, cares? It was awful. It was really awful. I smoked constantly. I just drank a million coffees. I hardly ever ate. Um, like, really, really unhealthy. I was... I I think when... I think I kind of... Yeah, when I write a lot, I tend to get quite unhealthy. Um, and then, like, hit a bottom point. Like, not like a serious... But like, I, I, I just mean like a point where I'm like, oh, this cannot go on. Like I, and then uh, and then I kind of pull it together and go for some runs and whatnot. But no, I don't have a, I don't. I certainly not then. I didn't have a healthy, um, healthy rhythm by any stretch. I think it was very much like I knew I had to write for a certain amount of hours a day, and often I would try to put that off for as long as I could, and then it would get to like midday or one or two, and I'm like, fuck! If I don't start this, um, but that was when I was writing things I didn't like. You know, that was when I was writing for money. Yeah. Um, that was always much harder. Writing stuff I like, although writing stuff I like is all is hard too because I don't want to fuck it up. Yeah, and I find it really hard to start. I find it starting things terrifying. I I, I remember I took I, I took like two weeks off to write this pilot idea I had once, and I was like I'm I saved up money so that I had like a little gap in my schedule. I cancelled all this work, and I spent maybe like nine days without writing a word, and it just I was in panic. Like I just would sit at my desk all day and just not write a word. Because I knew that if, as soon as I started, then I could start fucking up the perfection of an unrealized idea. And that was terrifying to me. Um, and then just stayed up sort of three days in a row and just wrote this pilot, which was not very good. But, you know, got it done. But yeah, my, my cycles of writing are not very healthy. I don't think there's anything, there's nothing I would want anyone else to take from them. They're a mess. <laughs> my writing, it's a mess. So it's like, get a deadline, hit rock bottom. Yeah. 
look look into the abyss yep. and then just get it done in a mediocre fashion. Yeah, or just, I don't know, I'm never happy with the finished bit of writing. I Yeah, I, I, all the suggestions I have about writing theories would be unhealthy. Like, I used to get to a point where I used to do this show, this like st- this like week or monthly um, comedy stand-up show called Irrational Fear, which was so much fun. And I would know that, it, like, you know, I'd, I'd have to have this thing written by Monday night. And the the rhythm became like, try to have an idea by sort of Sunday night, and then just like, drink half a bottle of wine and just write like, um, as many words as possible. Just shit, just go, but, just go, go, go. But that's it. Yeah, I actually reckon that is that is the process, vomiting up the ideas as they happen to sit in your mind and in that sort of not so judgy, inebriated state, you're mm. able to. So not let your sensor get in the way of, you know, your sensor's just too drunk to to be kind of, you know, piping up. And I think that, because editing is so much easier than yeah. writing. Yeah. So going over your garbage from the day before is actually much easier than thinking of a fresh page of garbage. Yeah. And I think that's like... you can like, turn it into something good. Totally. The people that, that like, the, that's like the artist's way, you know, when people mm. talk about getting up and just sort of free writing for half an hour every day. I wish I had the discipline to do that. But instead I wait till I'm panicked, have a glass of red. And then just bash out a shitty couple of thousand words. Yeah, I'd love to have the. Um, I'd love to be a kind of person who doesn't um, panic and edit like before they even write. But I don't know how you do that. Well, when you were doing your pre midday amble, mm. was that? Were you? What were you doing then? Were you reading the paper? Were you yeah. sort of doing personal admin? Were you filling the well in any sort of correct? Creativity gathering capacity. Yeah, that if I did any exercise, that's when I would do it. You know, get up in the morning, try to have breakfast, go for a run. Um, then it would be often, yeah, just go for a wander, go have a coffee somewhere, do personal admin, try to get all the stuff. Like when I would have like a to do list on the week, everything that wasn't the job, I would tick off. You know, in that early morning bit, so that so that it can't, when it got to the afternoon, I wasn't like oh, I should go to the bank. It's like, you can't go to the bank. You've already been to the bank. You've got that fucking bank thing out of the way. You have no more... Like, just trying to get rid of excuses, I think, mm. um, for me to leave my desk. Because I will take any excuse, and I will run with it um, forever. Well, uh, how many co- how many coffees is too many? Um, well, back then, I used to... I didn't have that much money, so I'd make a lot of tea at home. It was mostly tea and cigarettes. Um, but for me... Now on radio, I have a coffee to start the day and I have a coffee just before I go on air and that's like the good amount for me and then it tends to be like when it's when I've been when we've been working for a few months in a row, I tend to after like a holiday, I get down to one coffee and then just before a holiday I'm usually back to three um, which again doesn't make me feel like I've got a particularly good hold on my own health and, and discipline but I probably don't is the accurate thing. No, I would just say, I would be very similar, and I feel like I am pretty monitored, and I just know that I ideally would want three or four, but when mm. I'm really kicking, go- kicking goals, I'm having one, because mm. I'm so energized from things like yoga, and mm. that maca in my smoothie. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, you just, you know, the more you need to get done, the more you just do whatever you need to do. So, you know, all of your energy at the moment is... Uh, Still invested in stand-up, is that right? Well, no, not so much. I did a stand-up show last year, like an hour-long show, which uh, was my first one, and it was, you know, it was okay. It wasn't great. It was 
uh, well, it was my first time doing an hour-long show. So it was, yeah, it was my first time. How would you know if it was great? <clears throat> um, I guess I would never... I can't, ima- I can't think of anything that I've ever done that I think is great. I think that I've done things that are, you know, okay, solid. But nothing, I can't... I think it's just like anything. By the time you grow up a little bit, another six months or a year, you look back at the thing you did six months or a year ago... And there's like, oh, there's some charm to that. But rarely do you look back and go, fuck, I was nailing it back then. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I don't, um, I don't know how I would know it was any good. Well, is then like, would that be in reference to the critical reception of it or, you know, how many tickets you sold or, you know, is it yeah. what friends maybe had mentioned to you whose opinion you admired? That's That would definitely make it easier. Like, oh, that would... Yeah, then you could go, well, I didn't like it, but I'm glad other people did. Um, <laughs> which is often as good as it gets. Uh, but, no, I think it was just generally, like, it, it got the exact reception it deserved, which was people go, it was nice, it was good. People were like, it was good. And it was fine. Like, it was not... A, a, it wasn't a abysmal thing. It was... I mostly did it because I knew I just wanted to get the first one out of the way and just do it. And I'd put so much pressure on it being brilliant. And I was just trying to get past that thing where I was like, this isn't going to be brilliant. Like, it, I just isn't. Because brilliance in that world is comes by hours and practice. And by putting off doing it in order to, like, get perfect, it was just never going to happen. So I was like, I need to just, just do it and do... Like, I did Melbourne Comedy Festival run and did Sydney Comedy Festival run and just doing that many hours on stage and just doing them over and over again, that was actually really, that was super valuable and really good. But, yeah, it's, uh, it, it, it was fine. It was fine. <laughs> like, I've been so negative. Um, it was really valuable. Like, I learned a lot and uh, learned a lot about how to write comedy and learned a lot about the difference between comedy on TV and comedy on radio and comedy live um, and learned to embrace the live a bit more like I because I came at doing a live stand-up show from a writer's point of view which was like I had the script you know I had the writing and that's not a good stand-up show you know like you need or it's a good starting place you should start there and then once you realize what isn't working or once you just feel like a great ad libber or something come up then that becomes the new show and I just hadn't done enough time and so it was yeah I think I got the reception it deserved so do you think that to go into it again, it would be about having the script and having it so familiar that you were then available to the impulses yeah. as they were occurring on the night? 100%, yeah. And, um, and yeah, so I would just probably work more for longer. You know, people who are in, like, this, people who, great, great comedians, friends who do stand-up all the time, that's their job. They do it all the time, and they, they, do, they perform every week a couple of times. And they're just constantly churning over new stuff and throwing out the rubbish. And and I was just I was so busy working that um, I just didn't do that, which is just unprofessional. Which is why it was what it was. Uh, yeah. So I ha- I don't know. Stand up's kind of like another thing that terrifies me. Uh, I really love it. The re- react like the response is so rewarding, but the I don't know. It's just. It's it's not something you can dip your toe into. You're either Although, in or you're out. Yeah, it looks like <laughs> something that if you had a grasp of performance and a grasp of writing, you'd think, well, surely I can do that. Mm. How hard could it be? Yeah, totally. But uh, and you know, you can do you can you can do something that's okay. 
But, you know, to do really well, you just need to do- dedicate more time than I than I did at the time. Who are your mentors and or sounding boards if you do want advice on something or if you need to show work to someone to get feedback? Who do you trust? Uh, it depends. Um... I, I, I mean, as you, you've spent some time living in this house, the where we are right now, and my housemates are all super amazing people who I trust and who I've lived with and who I've known for a really long time. So I've always been really lucky to live with people who I, whose opinion I really respect and also who work in fields that are similar, but not too similar. So, um, you know, one of my housemates, well, they both work in TV. So one's a TV producer uh, in sort of more documentary style television. So whenever I come out with him and ideas, he always comes at it with a very, I don't know, he, he often, he doesn't like silliness, you know, he doesn't. And so often when an idea is too silly, he can kind of mold it back into a more human idea. Then I have another housemate who works in reality TV. So he often is great at expanding an idea into its, like maximum effectiveness for an audience. So you'll, and he also has worked in radio. So often you'll throw out an idea to him and he'll know, he'll have really great ideas on how to expand it and extend it. So you're like, all right, this is your starting point. And then this happens. And then you'll get a a listener who does this. And and this is your end point. And that, that step out process is, uh, is super helpful. So those guys, I trust a lot. Uh, Veronica, I trust a lot. I'm very, uh, like my, you know, Andrew Denton, who was like my first kind of mentor, like straight out of uni, he gave me this job on, on Hungry Beast and he's always incredibly available and super helpful and he's a genius. So he's a pretty incredible guy to have to run ideas by, but also not the kind of guy you want to go through with a first thought. (laughs) You want to be prepared when you take an idea to Denton. Like he's very brilliant, but he doesn't, you know. If you go up to him with something that is not good enough, he is happy to let you know, which good. is great. And again, like that was that was one of the key our show the show that show Hungry Beast, which most people would never have heard of. The most incredible thing that I got from it was how brutal we were with um, post mortems of the show. Like it was, it was deadly, and not in a, not in an aggressive way, but in a way that we all knew that we would put a show to air. The next morning, we would all come in, and for two hours, we'd just tear the show apart everything that was wrong with it, what you didn't like about, like, be like, I don't like, I didn't like your segment. And it wasn't a fight. It was like, this is why, this is why, this is why. And, you know, the first few weeks you get a few hurt feelings and then, you you know, eventually you just get better. The, the show gets better. Your friendships get better. And I find it quite hard now to be around people who don't like that kind of um, criticism. Um, so often I have to, like working with Veronica is great because her and I are super critical of each other and of ourselves constantly. Like just any idea we have is often like, we can say that's a shit idea and the other person will just be like, "Hmm, okay. (laughs) Does it ever happen that you, someone's saying that's a shit idea and the other person's going, no, no, hear me out. You haven't, you haven't understood it yet. Yeah. And that's totally fine as well. Like, and you can, as long as you can argue that you can sort of things can survive. Yeah. I think you don't want to block as well. Like you don't want to be like, that's a shit idea. I guess actually that's probably, you don't often do that in the ideas creation phase. It's often in the, after the execution, we'll look back and go, you know what? We fucked that up. We really fucked that up. Like that, we didn't see this potential thing coming. 
and it just made the idea go from what something that could have been great something that was just okay and that's really frustrating but that's yeah but that ability to go like hey we didn't do this properly is really good for us and so when you got when you are working on building new work how do you gather inspiration for that what are you consuming in the way of TV, books, movies, magazines, podcasts, museums, you know, how are you getting yeah. inspired? Uh, for, it depends. Like, uh, for a, a lot of what, a lot of what it is, is really human stories for me. So a lot of what I do is, um, just force myself to leave the house most nights. So I try to have dinners and meetings. I and mostly did it because I knew I just wanted to go to, to parties and go to like and just so it. much of what I do is like I'd put so much well on radio on so much of what we do is and I, was just I met this guy last night he told me this like, story this isn't going to be it, it blew my mind I just you know like so much of what we do is, brilliance in is that hearing world, people's stories or having interactions with people that make you think something and and by if I'm home doing it that in order to like get perfect it was just never going to happen so I was like I need to just do it and do like I did the whole comedy festival step run and for radio ideas. Could you ever do that digitally if you didn't leave the house? Uh, like, I guess there's there's a certain amount of ideas that you get that from reading. Valuable, you know, really like good. it'll be particularly news stuff. Like a lot of what we do is stuff from the news too. So that, but you sort of do that in the morning. You know, that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, the thing about radio is, it, and I guess well, maybe it's like everything. There's just no place where you can't find ideas, and when you have when you have to do a show every day, you, that it never turns off, and I think, um, any I think that's why I, that's why I really like stand up as well. Like, if you are always on stage, or you know, then your brain is just it never stops thinking in that it's always looking for those ideas. So you'll be having a conversation with someone, and halfway through you'll be thinking, God, this is actually a story that I need to remember. Mm. And you know, the moment that they, like if you'd be writing it down, and so, you know, I take down a lot of notes of just conversations with people and things I've watched and, yeah. I So, yeah, I mean, I watch a lot of TV, podcasts, magazines, a bit of everything, like everyone, but most most ideas come from talking to people, I reckon, like 80%. Have you been particularly delighted by anything <clears throat> you've consumed recently or had that sort of fondness that one has for that once-in-a-while TV show or that once-in-a-while podcast that comes along that you just can't wait to get to the next part of yeah i've been uh listening to a podcast called song exploder Mm. have you heard of it it's amazing if you're a fan of music Mm. um song exploder is the one i've literally just i was just in new york a few weeks ago and half of my days were just putting on song exploder and just walking through the streets and it's it's this incredible thing where uh like i've listened to a lot of music you know i know you have like you're a huge music fan but hearing, uh, but the podcast is basically um, an interview with an artist about a specific song. So just one song, and they talk about where it started. They bring in old demos. They bring in, they like break down all the stems. So like, oh, this is how we made this sound. And oh, excuse me one second while I just go and put the interview on hold for half yeah. an hour and listen to this podcast. That sounds amazing. So it's, I actually was just listening to one today, right? And the, the thing I love most about this podcast is that it makes me love music that I fucking hated. So, because you just get to this point where you realize that there is no such thing as easy music. Like, I think it's very easy for people to go, oh, that song that's like, that Kesha song or whatever is just a piece of shit. 
or whoever it is, you know? <laughs> Poor old Kesha. It's just the yardstick by which shitty music uh, yeah. is measured. But, you know, you sort of go, uh, but the thing is, like, no, no, nothing that's made that's that good or nothing that's made that attracts an audience was made quickly or easily, like, very rarely. And so, I don't know, just hearing that there's a person behind every song like that. Like, some, some of the songs are, you know, Iggy Pop or whatever, and, and you're like, all right, well... I'm just I'm just happy to hear Iggy Pop talk about whatever, and then, you know, there'll be like a one of this great hip hop um, production group called Clipping who ref- they don't do any um, they don't make any percussion with drums so they they all the percussion that they make is made from like crumpled cans or whatever so to hear them break apart their entire percussion thing and just go well this is this can crinkle this is this thing. But I was listening to Katie Tunstall's Suddenly I See. Remember that song? Yeah. Suddenly I See. Oh. This is, it was in like every yeah. ad aimed at women over 45. <laughs> Tender Lady Pants. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and not a song I like. Not a song I would ever listen to. Unless you were watching like a late noughties rom-com. Exactly. But to hear her talk about her career and talk about what this song meant to her and how it happened and... Like, this producer who saw this thing in her while she was busking, and then, you know, you're just like, fuck, all of a sudden I love Katie Tunstall's Suddenly I See. And that's what I love about Song Exploder. It just makes me respect every song a little bit, you know? It's pretty amazing. I I highly recommend it. That is a hot tip. Mm. So, you and Veronica have been doing the show for, what, a year and a half or so? Do you have to invest any energy in promoting it yourself or doing anything to do with social around the show which is great and again like that was none of that is taken care of by someone else that is like Triple J is as I said most incredible thing that I ever on there as a legend but it's a pretty small we were um, we had this guy today um, who was on our show. show. He was like, "Yeah, it just was, um, tell your social media team and not to know when we're on aggressive in a way that we are like, mate." Where the social we media team put a show to where we, like the next we would all there, come in there is uh, hours, we, we have like apart. there's obviously everything that was wrong with it who work there who do amazing what you didn't stuff, like about like in terms of like I don't like I didn't people like who work on our shows it wasn't a fight it was like there's the, this there's is why this is why this is why Max and much everything you know the first few weeks you get a few hurt feelings so yeah and then no we have to do all that which is hard as well like I think that eventually like when I was a little kid who listened to Triple J when I was twelve and I was like that sounds like a sweet job that was like. That would have been, that was long before, you know, Facebook and this idea of radio as being just radio is, is not a, is not true anymore. Um, you need to be able to, you need to do a bit of everything. Do, do, you, do you find yourself investing much energy in that? It's like fits and spurts, you know. Some ideas you have, pretty much, like as I said in this morning meeting, you sort of get through all your ideas and then you sort of go through the ideas and go, do any of these ideas have like a, social angle like is there anything we could do socially on this and we there's like triple j's social media guy who's brilliant who helps us out sometimes comes in and is like oh yeah this feels like something we could do and but uh it's still a something it's still one of the things that we struggle with a bit like we often talk about like oh we really haven't we haven't done like a decent thing on social media in like three days we really need to get that shit together uh, so that's one of our most... Have you checked the MySpace page? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Who's, who's updated the song in the background? Who's got us in their favourites or top friends? <laughs> yeah, I know. But that's the thing is also it's like you... Like we look at all these social media stats of our audience because Triple J is a young audience. And so you sort of like... 
you know, we had this big chat recently where it's like, well, Twitter's kind of dying. And Snapchat is now, it's still not the major social system that people use, but it's like definitely on the increase. All of a sudden you're like, all right, got to get good Snapchat now. And you sort of like, that's, that's just the way it is. Like that's where the audience is. So that's where you go. And, and you try not to, try not to like, try internally not to find that a problem. You just have to go like, all right, this is a new thing to learn, which is good in a way. Like it's just the reality of how things are. But at the, at the point when you're like, all right, we've got to do a radio show. We've got to do a blog. We've got to make a video. We've got to do a, We've got to do the Twitter, Twitter account. We've got to make some, do something on Instagram. Um, and we've got to be doing some Snapchat. Like at that point, you're just like, fuck me. Like, I, I don't know if, I just, I don't know. You just end up going, I'm, are we just doing like a 70% job on everything as opposed to just going, let's just do a really good radio show. Um, but that's just, I don't know. That's, that sounds like a complaint, but it's just the reality. It's just mm. what it is. Is there any concern with needing to be au fait with what a 15 year old is getting excited by culturally? Uh, not so much. Like I think there's, uh, like we, the, we, the triple J text line is, is a, pretty good like you sort of get a sense of that of like what people are into but like first of all 15 is a bit below our what we triple j tends to go for like 18 to 24 which is kind of you know um a bit more i don't know i can relate to an 18 year old yeah exactly you're like all right yeah you it's always the same like it's always i want to get fucked up and have sex like that's that is bit that will be eighteen year olds in fifty years, like and hopefully me for at least like <laughs> 10, to 20, ten to twenty. I don't doubt it. Um, yeah, so you know, but you, there is a thing where you kind of look at an idea and go, "Is this is if I was eighteen, nineteen, would I give a shit about this story?" And sometimes it's yes, sometimes it's no. But yeah, the audience is always like very first and foremost in in the minds of everyone at Triple J. Like it's very audience driven. Well, I suppose also the 18-year-olds are aspirational in that they want to be 25-year-olds. So, you know, and and I'm 33 and I want to be a 25-year-old. So I suppose <laughs> we're sort of meeting in the middle, really. Yeah, that's right. That's exactly what I think. Like, often people are like, I don't know, I think when I was like 16, you know, living in like country Victoria, like listening to Triple J, I didn't, I didn't go, why aren't you talking about the shit that's happening to me as a 16-year-old in country Victoria? Like nothing's fucking happening to me. That's the problem. That's why I'm listening to this radio station because you guys are like going out and seeing bands and partying and doing all the shit that I'm desperate to do but can't fucking do Mm. because I live in the middle of nowhere. You're living like you're in Friends. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Exactly. That was kind of how I imagined that Triple J was. Like Friends. We're just hanging out in Central Perth. Friends (laughs) friends meets Empire Records. Yes. Exactly. (sighs) That was was a dream. Wearing their t-shirts over their long sleeve t-shirts. Oh, what a time. Uh, I actually pretty much look at the way I style myself now, and I, I pretty much am AJ from Empire Records. I realize I've just actually become my teenage fantasy. Hey, that's it's, amazing. It's, that it's means a, you're a, probably someone else's teenage fantasy now. Oh, yeah. Well, at the very least, it's, very, it's an Ouroboros of masturbatory <laughs> self-indulgence. <laughs> I, I find no one more attractive than myself. I have a deep-seated fantasy to fall in love with me. If only human cloning was a thing, I would need the man of my dreams. Yeah. Um, well, what is the like? What's the best thing about working in radio? Do you think? Uh, in the I, way that you work in radio, I like. I would never work on. I don't. Well, I mean, it's probably silly to say never. I can't imagine working on radio without Veronica. Like, I just can't imagine doing that. Like, I, I don't know if I'd want to do it by myself. I just love. Like, she's just a dear friend. She's like one of my very 
best friends and I love working with her and I love our relationship and I, I don't I feel very anxious doing it with someone else like I've done it with other people you know for a day or two and it's fun it's fine I'm sure it would be fine but I love working with her you know that's a real special thing and our producer too who's a legend but it's the immediacy which is what I guess probably everyone who says in radio talks about which sounds boring but it is that thing of going the, I, I love the Triple J audience too like I don't I'd be anxious working in a different radio station because I don't know if you get the kind of the kind of interaction that we have with Triple J listeners which is very I don't know, it's so like, I'm, what are the, I don't know how to describe it, there's one thing that we often do is when we'll like, we'll get someone's, a text that someone comes in and we'll go, oh, let's give them a call. And usually our producer calls them, but sometimes he's super busy. So Veronica and I will call them. And you kind of have this thing in your mind where you're like, like, we work on radio and these people are listening to us every day, you're like, I'm going to give them a call. And they'll pick up the phone and I'll be like, hey, it's Lewis from Triple J. And they'll be like, whoa, I just texted you, that's so crazy that you called me back. But that's never the way they react, like... You call up and you go, hey, it's Lewis from Triple J. And they're like, oh, hey, Lewis, how you doing? Like, everyone is just so chill about... And it's just like, because they don't... They're just like mates. Like, everyone is just mates. Like, it's the, they think of us as mates. We think of them as mates. It's just this, like, beautiful, like, giant nationwide friendship, uh, which is very, very touching and sweet. And it's how I felt when I was, like, a listener to that station when I was 12. And and all the way up to in my 20s, and being on the other side of that is very rewarding. And I feel very... I, I don't... I Maybe all radio stations are like that. I don't know. Maybe that's just the thing about radio is you build a community of listeners mm-hmm. and then they become your community and it's like that all the time. But I don't know. There's a part of me that thinks that maybe that's just people who listen to Triple J who are awesome. Yeah, I think the essence of Triple J... For me, I mean, nothing makes me feel more proud to be Australian, literally, than Triple J, especially come Australia Day when it's hottest 100 time. Mm. I still, weeks in advance, I'm talking, I'm talking to friends about, you know, what we'll be doing that day and how we'll celebrate it and acknowledge it. But nothing connects me with Australianness because you do get the sense that it's not just people in your city, but there's people, regional Australia gets, you get a chance to just hear what they're doing on Saturday morning. And, you know, there's, I don't know, I feel very aware of being Australian at election time and mm. and at the hottest 100 time. <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> two key moments in the, the australian got the calendar yeah the two biggest elections the two biggest democracies <laughs> yeah i i don't know i think that um i love that about radio i definitely love the the stories that we get from people like from incredible like i don't know just even today we were talking about pokemon go today and uh talking about how it had just overtaken tinder in um in the states on and we were like the only explanation for that is people are fucking on go like that people are using pokemon go to pick up right like that oh of course yeah like otherwise people so that's just the logical thing so we were like have you used pokemon go to pick up in the last few days let us know and this woman calls us up and she was telling the story of how she'd recent just broken up with her fiance but they were still living together so like four days old or whatever. And her husband was going... Her, no, sorry, ex-fiancé was going out to play Pokemon Go. And as he was... He walked out the door, and then he walked back in the door, past the woman that he's just broken up with, fiancé, grabbed a bunch of condoms from the side of their bedside table and was like, might pack a few frangers, just in case it's go time. And then turned around and left. It's go time! It's go time, right? And not only did that happen... But this woman, who's like three days old, like 
ex-fiance was just happy to like give us a call and tell us that story. Oh. And every element of that. She wanted to I tell like, a friend. Yeah, I know. And I'm like, every part of this is the best. The fact that that happened, the fact that you two are chill, the fact that you called us, the fact that people are going to hear that story and think of it as heartwarming rather than fucked up. I'm like, every. This just ticks every happy box for me. Totally. Catch them all. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, for those who don't know, Pokemon Go... Well, Lewis, you'll do a better job of explaining it because I'm having my mind blown by the concept currently. But, mm. you know, what is Pokemon Go for someone who has no idea? It's an augmented reality app on your phone, basically. So it's uh, it allows you to, like, hold up your phone and the, your camera shows the real world. But on top of that real world is, like, a skin of animation, which is basically what you use to catch... Pokemon made up little characters. And so based on a late nineties Nintendo game Japanime yeah. kind of creature yeah. ca- catching yeah, concept. These, yeah, with these ideas that you catch these creatures in balls and then you make them fight. So now you can go around in real it's life. Battle Royale. Yeah. Meets <laughs> <laughs> Tamagotchi. Yeah. And so you catch them in your things and then but now you can do it in real life. So you just walk around, your phone buzzes, and then you pick up your phone and scan it around, and when you see the thing... Anyway. It's the future. It's pretty crazy. So the last... But that, like, is one and of the And sexy, apparently. Very. It's really... Once you just get people talking about balls, it's go time. But also, do you think that it's actually opening up digital dating to an audience that maybe didn't see themselves as being a Tinder consumer? And because you're instantly able to have the shared love of Pokemon as the conversation starter. And I'm assuming that the early adapters probably were not the strongest conversationalists yeah. because the diehard fans potential. Oh, it's pretty broadly popular though, especially if it's overtaking Tinder. But that is so far out to think that people could be using it IRL yeah. to pick up. Well, there and there was this fusion where at the moment it was just so many people had been like, oh, the first thing I did when Pokemon Go came out was change my Tinder bio to like Pokemon trainer who just wants to... like. <gasps> And so all this game's only been in Australia for like a week, and already everyone was using was on Tinder being like, "Hey, I see you're a Pokemon Go player. Do you want to go like go for a walk and catch some Pokemon?" And Whoa, so people were using it as a first date, like really an icebreaker. Sweet. It's so sweet. Yeah, it's so goddamn adorable. It's like Spike John's her yeah. kind of sweet, <laughs> where it's futuristic but twee. Yeah, and so I don't know. That was that was just I don't know. I was like, I can't. You can pretty much ask any question. To a Triple J audience, and you'll you'll find someone who's done it, and that's pretty fun. And we'll give you a really enjoyable response. Yeah, yeah. Mm, what well, that's that is really well. When you I mean you're doing this ultimate role, you know, drive time on the radio station that you love with your best mate, comedic writing partner. Do you think about what there is after this? Yeah. And more, I know, more miserly, yeah. <laughs> more miserly attic time. Yeah, I think I'm back to the attic with a bottle of wine and some tears. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's funny. Like, I think um, I really love Triple J, but I, I also think that like Triple J should be for young people, both listeners and hosts. Talent. Like, I think you know, there should it should be a, a place you start your career, not end it. So I kind of uh, I'm ang- I'm. Cautious of, of not overstaying. You could be the well. John Laws of George. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Oh, boy. As long as they put me in Annie, I'm in. Um, yeah, I... So, I yeah, definitely am like, you know, I, I don't... I'm not in a rush to leave, but also I'm like, all right, I can't stay there forever. Need to be thinking about what to do next. And uh, it's weird. Like, it, it's not a job that has a... Um, 
an obvious next step. Like it's very much a, it's an awesome job, but it's not like you go, oh, well you do that and then you go off and do this. Like that's just not a, that's not a thing that happens. It's very much a, you finish and then kind of go, well, you can do anything, but also you don't have any relevant work experience. <laughs> so uh, it's a funny one. I don't really know. Like I, I definitely, like, I do a lot of writing even now, so, like, I'm, you know, writing on TV show ideas with other people and um, working on pitches for things and working on some things that are already up and, you know, not my things, but just always just kind of floating around doing writing. So that that's really what I love to do as how, well. How much time in your week does, does extracurricular activities get currently? Um, it depends. Like, I try to do at least a night a week. Um, of just writing of of something, um, and would it be the same thing every every night of of the week that you would return to the same project? Usually, yeah. Um, but just tonight, just as you were arriving, I like just had a friend around, and we were talking about an idea for like it's our very first time, so talking about that, and that's really fun too. But yeah, I think uh, I try to work with. I'm not very good at the producing side of things. Like I'm very, I'm just disorganized and. Um, I don't know if my the way I described the way I used to write gave in gave any clues to the way that I operate, but it's not particularly functional. Often, like I'm not very yeah, I'm not organized. I'm, I'm very disorganized. So I try to get an idea up pretty quickly to a point where I can get it to someone who knows how to organize life, and then I can get it to them, and then they can go, all right, that you've done well so far, but now this is what you need to do, and this is your deadline and then I can work to that and that's usually much better for me um I'll never be a producer I'm the I would be the world's worst producer uh but luckily I know some good ones so that's kind of very rewarding too and do you have a passion project that you think of as being the dream on the horizon that if I were to sort of check in with you in three years time you'd be like I've done it I've uh, sold. <laughs> there's two. There's two ideas. One that is co- is currently potentially about to. Uh, I mean, actually, that's just. I shouldn't even say that. Like nothing in TV ever happens until it's on air. Like until it's on air, it, it doesn't exist. And talking about it is just like getting excited about it is dumb. Talking about it is dumb. Like it just. So many things fall over at so many different points for so many different reasons that it's just. It can get a bit demoralizing to get excited about TV. Uh, so I've got one thing which is in a nice place um, and one thing which is very new, but I really love it. Um, so if you check back it in in three years, if either of those things was even, you know, had, had gotten up, that would make me very happy. And are those things that you've been investing the night a week in? One of them is, and one of them is quite new. So I, uh, where it was just at that point where we've had like a very good few meetings and now it's like, okay, now we need to just go away and do a bunch of research and figure okay. out whether or not this is plausible and if it and interesting and if it is, then then let's put our foot down and go for it. And that's a TV project. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Um, but then like also for the last six months, I've been constantly going, I should do stand-up again, I should do stand-up again and just haven't, which is just a combination of laziness and fear, which is really my main problem with everything. <laughs> Does it feed your day job, the stand-up, when you do, you know, do you find that, you, so, you've, so to me it sounds like you've got these three spinning plates, you've got radio, 
TV writing, comedy mm. writing for screen, mm. and stand-up. And they're all sort of complementary in some ways, but do they directly inspire one, one another? Uh, I mean, I feel like I, I feel even anxious or talking about me being a stand-up. Like, I have done stand-up and I really like it, but I'm not, like, I you know, compared to people who do stand-ups, it's unfair to even compare me to those people. Like, I just, I'm very much just, like, it's something that I do occasionally. And oh, really okay, well, he, well, here's a different phrasing of it. When you have had a period where you've invested, for the, for example, when you were determined to do the show, mm. and you knew you just wanted to do an hour for the sake of having done it, yeah. when you returned to radio after that, once it had ended... Did that change the yeah. experience of being on radio? I was I was much better. Like definitely performance. They def in terms of performance, like being live on air and then being live on stage. They're not the same, but they definitely complement each other. I think. Uh, I think there's something about because ne- you never see an audience in radio, and so you kind of never get this great sense of how things are going. You know, for a, you know in yourself and you get a pretty good sense of audience, you know, 10 minutes later when people are like, that sucked or that was okay. Uh, but you don't really get that immediate feedback. And so I think doing stand up every night or every or pretty frequently gives you that sense of going, okay, I do a joke and, and it just gives you a confidence to do material um, that, or a, an energy or something. There's something that it gives you, um, when you're doing radio that you do, that I don't have when I'm not doing it. And that's kind of one of the reasons where I'm constantly like, God, i got to keep going back into it. Like just to give you that extra like 5% of energy and confidence and just alertness, I think. And, um, and making you, and you get better at listening as well. Cause you know, you have to deal with crowds and you, the, like I, I know Veronica really well. I, I often know, I don't know what she's going to say, but I, I can read her really well. And we have a pretty, we have a rhythm that's familiar Whereas, you are fucking. Yeah, well, that's right. We've been fucking f- for <laughs> ten years. Um, so, but then an the, the audience is so unpredictable. Like you, get, you get so much more on edge. Um, there's something good about an edge. There's something good about being relaxed. But sometimes I think I could do with a little more edge. <laughs> Lewis, Colin, could do with more. Could edge. do with more edge. I mean, I'm sure that I'm not the first to say or think it. Um, but because we're sitting here in my attic. By the smell of a um, scented, scented candle, candle. And, the, and the light of a salt crystal salt lamp, <laughs> you've lost your edge. I have lost my edge. Well, just to finish up, to think about that twelve-year-old that was getting really delighted and excited by being a radio presenter, and then to think that you've done that. What advice do you have for that twelve-year-old today, who, or even that even that twenty-five-year-old today? who just thinks, oh my God, that would just be my dream job. I would love to do something in that capacity. How do you become a radio presenter? Shit. Uh, well, well, how do you take to be, steps? To genuinely, to, if you want to get into radio, don't, like, don't do what I did. Like, that, was a, that is a low percentage play. Like, I, um, it was so lucky that I got in. Like, you know, I went TV, 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 and then just happened to get a TV job that Triple J saw. And they literally asked us to come and do a demo. So that was like, I wasn't, we weren't even trying to get on radio, you know, like it wasn't something that was on my radar. Oh, so Triple J saw Hungry Beast? Yeah. And then said, come and have a chat about maybe yeah. doing some radio stuff. Yeah. So, um, so doing that, that is a, a slim chance that if that, that's not the technique I would use. To get on to, well, I mean, to get to Triple J, I don't really know about other stations, but most people in Triple J come from 
either stand-up or community radio, uh, or both. So if you're in Sydney, that's like FBI, 2SER. If you're in Melbourne, um, Triple R, PBS. If you're in Brisbane, 4 Triple Z. Don't know what community radio is like in like Adelaide and Perth, but that's where most people come from. And just like anything, just like just doing those hours of radio, uh, just getting behind a mic and getting comfortable and getting to a point where you don't panic about everything you say, uh, which takes time. That takes, you know, quite a bit of time. Just getting that out of your way, just getting that, like I had to do that in the middle of the night on Triple J because I had to get that panic out of my system then. But people who do community radio, they get that panic out of the way much earlier. And the stakes are lower, so generally the panic yeah. would be lessened, I'm it's, sure. Yeah, and it's fun and, and it's re- it's a good... It's like off Broadway, you get it's a good amount. Like it, you know, the, the listenership's smaller, but they're committed and they're lovely, and um, it, yeah, it allows you to do that thing where you're fucking around and without getting totally torn to shreds by a, a by listeners who expect a certain thing. And I suppose in this day and age, podcast totally, totally, yeah. I think the thing, like the the one thing about podcasts is you don't really get that. You can, like, I don't know, it's not live, you know? Mm. There's a difference between us now where I could say something that was really fucking racist and I'd be like, Dan, can you please cut out that super racist thing I said? You, you, you already have and <laughs> yeah. I have already cut it out. That you, that you've cut out so much racism and I really <laughs> appreciate it because I just, uh, I hold it in and I'm at work. I, I desperately hold it in for two hours a day and then my racism just comes pouring out at night. Well, you see, one thing I want to ask you, you're very quick-witted and you and I occasionally will have a conversation where you'll always yes and the conversation to the point of coming back with something that's really genuinely funny and great and the conversation only stops when I can't do it anymore (laughs) so is that just something that that is a practice thing and you have to be thinking is it your lawyer's brain that you've then just trained to to use it for evil instead of good (laughs) and you're able to or you know do you find that you're actually like, do you fling out shtick of like gags that have worked in the past or, you know, uh, you always seem to have great repartee. Oh God, that's so kind of you. Uh, that certainly doesn't, not, not how it feels to me. Or is um, it just having an acerbically brutal girlfriend? Who, <laughs> <laughs> I who always surround myself with, with acerbically brutal people. Uh, I, I don't know. I think, uh, I mean, you can't, like if you're going to be on radio for many hours a day, blocking blocking gets pretty obvious pretty quickly like if you someone puts out a suggestion and you don't you don't add to it you, you just can't talk for that long like you can't have a conversation that goes for three minutes or five minutes you don't that'll die uh but i don't know if there's like I, if that's something that you're into like if you're thinking about if you someone is thing is like oh i don't know how to have think have comedically. Yes. I mean, I know you've recently done an improv workshop. Yeah. And that is like My... improv and radio are pretty similar in a lot of ways. Just into not the you're not going like let's create a world where I'm a pizza delivery man, but you the general concept of going I say something and you find a way to add to it and give it back to me in a way that I can add to it. That is exactly right. And also I found that when I was doing that, I haven't done it for a few months now but I'm really missing it because I do notice I'm so much more I've got so much pizzazz yeah. <laughs> so much more zing when yeah. I'm um, when I'm doing it because I'm, it just gets your brain working and functioning in a different way mm. maybe you're always thinking of the yes and and if it's any good it'll come out but actually the best part of it is and I notice my favourite people who work well in that capacity 
there's no gap in time between the idea being presented and them giving the response. Mm. So quick is the, you know, like our friend Tam, for example, the first, first person that comes to mind. Mm. I was like, there was no, there was like a millimeter of gap yeah. there for you to even think. It just was an automatic response, but it was well written, well timed, well measured, and and well executed. Yeah. How does that How does that happen? And I and I think my brain almost goes into that territory when I'm doing improv. Mm. A, a bit yeah yeah i think i think that's true but i think as you say like now i'm sure you'll like you doing this podcast like when you're the pressure's on you to keep this conversation going the pressure's not mm. on me like mm. i'm used to being in your position where if the com- if this conversation it sucks it will seem like your fault yeah. <laughs> and when you're on radio that's that's like on you when if you have someone in and it's shit that's my fault. What's the shit to not shit ratio of guests? Uh, I reckon, thankfully, because, like, Triple J, people know that it's like a, it's like a, you know, people want to You know what nice. you're stepping into. Yeah, yeah, they know the vibe, and they know that They're they... They're not, like, um, jaded press junket celebrities. Usually, yeah, exactly. So, uh, we get pretty lucky, with, and particularly with Australian bands, who most people have grown up listening to Triple J, so usually when they come in... They're pretty excited, you know, because they they know their family will be listening, and it's like a sweet thing. Mm. Uh, so the ratio is pretty good of awesome to shit, but like as you say, junkets. Like we only recent we recently made a decision to just not do junkets anymore. Mm. So like we just because for anyone who's never been to a press junket, they are the worst. So literally, it'll be like you get to chat to um, this hunk, and you're like, cool. Our audience loves this hunk. He's a Hollywood hunk. Let's go and chat to this hunk. And then it's like you get there and just out of view of the cameras are like 40 PR people just standing there holding up hands with how long you have. And the maximum amount of time you ever have with these people is like six minutes. So by the time you walk in the room, the cock is going. And so you have six minutes to get like a conversation out of this person. And it's the 50th one they've done today. They don't give a fuck. And they don't know who you are. They don't they care. Don't and care. You know, it's no one's fault. Like, no one in that uh, ecosystem is doing anything wrong. Like, everyone's just doing the thing that they're trying to do. But it, we just got to a point where we were like, this is making us miserable. We don't need to do this. Like, we don't have any sponsorship. We don't have anyone that we need to keep. Like, we just can, we can say no to this. Mm. Um, and, it, and it's made us much happier. <laughs> uh, yeah. But yeah, so yeah, anyway, people are generally nice, but occasionally they're shit. And uh, yeah, that sucks. It's hard when they're shit. And usually, this is, it's often for good reasons, for like they're jet lagged, they've just got off a plane, or, you know, people aren't often willfully rude. Hmm. Um, but often people just aren't in the mood to talk, and that's kind of understandable, but ill timed for us. <laughs> Well, Lewis, you certainly haven't been shit. Oh, in fact, you've damn. been amazing. I think this has been one of my faves. Oh, stop it. Uh, actually, it was it was a conversation that you and I had in your kitchen downstairs that was so much in this territory hmm. that made me think I should start a podcast. It was actually one of it was one of a couple, but I feel like it was so much in the direction of exactly what I wanted to officiate with this format. That I feel like you're you're a godfather, you're a founding father. Oh well, it's my pleasure. I'm really glad. And uh, anything for you, Dan. You know that. Yeah, I'll hold you to it. Let's turn this off and let's <laughs> and let's turn down that salt. T- <laughs> <laughs> Blow out that scented candle. <laughs> it's go time. My takeaways from chatting with Lewis were around 
His talent for his talent. For years he was working a full-time job honing his ability to write through advertising and small stints in a TV show writer's room. But by weekend he was building his experience on air. This meant that by the time opportunities to work in a more prominent time slot on radio presented themselves, he and his comedy partner Veronica had already established their offering and were available for the challenge. I also like the idea that a big part of Lewis's research and how he fills his well with inspiration for topics of discussion come from the stimuli he would naturally gravitate towards. Stories told in conversation, which makes the work ever-changing and topical. This is also a great reminder that if you are looking for a way to expand your creativity in a new direction, or even to begin that journey, often we are instinctively drawn to the forms of expression that come most naturally to us. If you love to talk, try doing it at an open mic night. If you love mixing colors and patterns, you should pay attention to areas of design that facilitate that expression. If you're wild about music, then try an introductory lesson with 10 different instruments to see if any of them resonate. Lastly, my chat with Lewis made me think about the improvisational elements of his work, the practice and preparation done leading up to the time on air that makes working moment by moment possible so that he could take an idea gleaned from a Triple J listener and run with it in a way that is as entertaining as something that's more preconceived. I have so much gratitude for my guest Lewis Hubber for taking the time to talk to me about his process. If there's anything that you would like me to explore on the show, you can find links to drop me a line at www.thenakedcreativeshow.com. In the show notes, I'll post links to Lewis's recommended podcast, Song Exploder, which I have been obsessed by ever since interviewing him a few days ago. Thanks so much for listening. I'm Dan Brophy, and this is The Naked Creative Show.